Hi, and welcome to the Self-Driving Factory podcast from 3AG Systems. My name is Matthew Gears, and I'm also joined today by Andrew Laerda. Good afternoon. Every episode, we're going to delve into the world of analytics, data engineering, machine learning, artificial intelligence, IoT, and anything we think will contribute to the concept of the self-driving factory. Today, what we wanted to talk about was to actually review an article that we saw this week from Network World, which was titled, Why IoT-Enabled Predictive Maintenance Hasn't Taken Off. And so this article is actually a summary of a survey that was done by Bain, where they interviewed more than 600 high-tech executives. Uh, and they summarized that in an article called uh, Beyond Proofs of Concept, Scaling the Industrial IoT. Um, I mean, the title alone is a bit of a mouthful. Um, I would have called it something a lot simpler. Um, but, you know, it's I guess that's what you do when you're a big consulting firm. Anyways, uh, the gist of the article was this. So industrial leaders were given a similar survey back in 2016 where they were asked what they thought about predictive maintenance. And what was discovered in this year's survey was that uh, leaders just were not as excited about predictive maintenance. And for those of you who don't know what predictive maintenance is, it's basically using analytics and building out data models that allow you to predict uh, what a machine might be doing based on um, sensor data that you're collecting. So a very simple example of that might be that you have a vibration sensor and if that vibration sensor goes beyond a certain level of vibration, you know that something might be wrong and you'll take an action in advance of it going wrong. Uh, this is much different than, well, slightly different than the concept of other sort of maintenance approaches like preventative maintenance, where you on a regular schedule actually go out and make changes or improvements or fixes to machinery uh, in advance of it actually breaking down. And then of course the the sort of the traditional, the the brute force approach is that you just run a machine until it breaks down. And so the idea with predictive maintenance, just to repeat, is that you can actually um, know in advance based on analytics that you're doing with data, whether or not something is going to go wrong with the machine. So it's, it is a bit surprising, you would think, that four years later, people are not as excited about this particular concept. And what the report found was a couple of things. So first, um, they found that people generally felt that implementing predictive maintenance was harder than expected. And that secondly, um, deriving valuable insight from that data also turned out to be unexpectedly challenging. To each of these points, um, I guess I'd like to give my opinion or my take on it, which is, I guess I can summarize it up with just one word, um, duh. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> with that, Andrew, you know, we've had lots of discussions with people before. We've even talked with people who are doing predictive maintenance pilots. Uh, and you know, how, how do you view what you're hearing from this particular survey? Well, I mean, the uh again <laughs> to your point about the uh, looking at the findings here Leo, com combining it to what we learned by working with some customers and their attempts in doing predictive maintenance right um there's actually uh, two big things that that came up from here one to their point about how implementing it has been harder than expected i think generally what happens is there's this initial excitement and hype on predictive maintenance and there's these 
proof of concept projects where um, you know they provide a snapshot of the data, they feed it into an algorithm, and it gives them something well awesome, right? And then reality sets in. Um, if you look further into the article too, they did say that after the survey in 2016, they did another survey in 2018, and then one of the uh, the the uh, the top concerns became how to deal with multiple data formats, right? Mm -hmm. That goes into the fact that great, you can you can do all these pilots, but if you don't have solid data engineering and data pipelines underneath it that can feed you updated data to kind of uh, feed into this model that you've created, it's not going to do you uh, much good, right? Because you're by the time you spend the effort to get the data to this model, it's already late, right? So right, yeah. and 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 I think as well. Um, maybe there's a difference there. Like when you're doing a proof of concept, you can effectively run a science project, right? Um, exactly. You can have you could have whatever format you want. The the challenge is going taking that and turning that into an industrial scale. And so you know if you've got one science project here that's using a particular format, and then you've got another science project over here that's using another format, and they're not connected together, and then you want to be able to pull something that integrates both of the science projects, it becomes a lot of work. And ultimately, if you were doing it in that way, um, it would almost it would grow uh, exponentially in terms of complexity, in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Like without the foundational engineering, data engineering practices and implementation that can actually feed and collect all these data, sanitize it, put it in one place so it's easy to, it's ready to consume, then it becomes challenging, which kind of reflects in the uh, 2018 survey here. Right Now, um, just sort of to go a bit off to the side on, on that, for, for people who aren't as familiar with these data practices that you're describing. Could you sort of summarize what, what that would look like to someone who isn't as experienced in this space? Oh, absolutely. So it's uh, think of it as, um, you know, putting in if, if you if you put the analogies of uh, buildings and houses, right? Um, data engineering really is laying out solid foundations and plumbing inside uh, inside your uh, organization so that um, you know, you're you're you really you're you're putting the uh, the the automation and the pipelines to be able to tap into the different systems that you have running in organization, right? You know, every single organization has you know they have a finance system, they have operational systems, they have HR systems, right? Um, these systems, you know, have their own implementation, their own backend, and um, the data engineering, good data engineering practices are all these methods and automation and pipelines that you put in place to go into these separate systems, collect the data automatically, uh, being able to apply certain kind of cleanup rules and aggregation rules and rules on how the data from the different systems should be interacting and then collect them on a centralized data warehouse that, um, that you can then do your analysis on. Okay, cool. Um, now, um, I'll say that, so that was the first point. The second point was related to the fact that, um, you know, uh, predictive maintenance, you know, maintenance in general is just one factor in a complex system, in an operation of a mine or, 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 a, or a manufacturing plant, right? Um, 
therefore, you know, the focus of predictive maintenance, while it might give you insights on when certain things are about to break down, but it doesn't give you full insight into the whole system, right? What is the impact of um, this thing breaking down? What is the what is the net effect of you being able to um, provide uh, proactive maintenance on this particular element or this particular equipment in your entire system, right? Um, we found in some of our cases where when you optimize for just one system, you, you make that one system uh, to be 100%, you might actually create bottlenecks everywhere else in the system because you're mm. just so targeted on just the one thing, so. I, I think as well, there's, I mean, there's obviously like a, a cost associated with doing these things too. So mm. it really comes down to trying to understand what the goal is. Like if the goal of predictive maintenance was to have 100% uptime on every single machine, then potentially you, oh, sorry, to prevent each machine from breaking down 100% of the time, um, you know, as long as you're uh, going around and putting enough resources into making sure that each one of those machines is running, um, you'll 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 achieve your goal. In fact, you probably don't even need to do sophisticated uh, planning on it or or sophisticated analysis. You just go out and send people out to do that. But the reality is that there's there's costs associated with that, and it might be that in some cases, um, certain machines you want to have up more than others. Um, some machines you might want to be you might be okay with them breaking down more if there's limited resources. Um, because the they they might not be a part of the critical path, and in that case, um, they're going to have a small overall impact on the the overall throughput for the entire plant. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say in this sort of roundabout way is that the um, if you're just looking at one facet of one machine, like it's it's uptime, you're missing out on the larger system that you're trying to optimize. And so if you're just trying to look at one machine against the entire plant, you're not necessarily going to be optimizing for the plant. And if you're looking at one aspect for one machine versus its entire um, set of parameters and, and contribution to the entire operation, you'll also be missing out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we've kind of de determined uh, and as we've kind of discovered right, through our different projects, right, when, when you have uh, you know, equipment interacting with other equipments that can feed back to the same equipment and all these different things that are in a sequence, it becomes a complex system, right? And the mm. uh, when you're when you're just doing like to me, predictive maintenance by itself becomes a local optimization, right? Whether are you optimizing for components of the system or are you optimizing for the entire system, which goes to your point earlier about, um, you know, there's always cost or you know, finite resources, right? There's only so many dollars you can put in a maintenance team running around fixing things, hmm. right? right. Um, somehow this reminds me of the whole Shakespeare, Shakespeare, you know, infinite typewriters and infinite number of monkeys. Um, you'll get the works of Shakespeare, right? And we know it's not <laughs> the case here. Maybe if you had an infinite number of consultants. <laughs> no. Possible, hasn't been tested, I suppose. <laughs> So is there anything else that you sort of caught your attention on this particular article? Um, well, I think uh, one of the things that, um, th there's only one final thing that he talked about. They, in, in the article, they talked about 5G connectivity, right? And again, I think that is, it is 
part of the solution potentially, but 5G connectivity itself is not the silver bullet that would you know, necessarily make this a lot more accessible or a lot more useful, but certainly it's, 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 it's one component uh, in the whole solution. Yeah, I, I think the quote was, given the progress in sensor technology, 5G connectivity and edge computing and edge analytics, and an estimated 20 billion connected devices by 2020, there's little doubt of the potential for the technology to vastly improve everything. Um, to me, that, that kind of says, well, all the ingredients are there, so it'll all work mm. out. Um, yep. Again, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's fantastic, except that if you're not, I think if you're not looking at the data and understanding like how to properly structure that data, and then from there, derive the insights on a systemic basis, right from the very beginning, you're probably not going to work, even if you had an infinite number of IoT sensors with an infinite number of 5G connections, right? A hundred percent, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the collection, because this this goes into the collection and storage of the data, right? Um, once it's stored, then you still have to do some analysis on it. Otherwise, it just mm. becomes, it'll just be collecting dust in the, in, in in a corner of your data storage somewhere. Fair yeah. Enough. yeah. OK, cool. Well, I think we've beaten this article up enough. Uh, <laughs> so it seems like a good place to wrap up. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Self-Driving Factory podcast from 3AG Systems. Till next time.